because we are all in this greenhouse together. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Now, one thing I really want your generation to embrace is that the Earth is a closed system. We cannot leave the Earth. There's no place to go. Hey guys, George Mesa here, Third Eye Edify podcast. And um, interesting little clips from two very interesting people. Um, not from very far backgrounds as far as I know. The first one, Carl Sagan, actually was Bill Nye's professor. But um, that's just something I heard in watching some clips of this nature recently. But um, how interesting that they're both saying essentially the same thing, that we live inside of a greenhouse, a closed system. You can't get out. Now, before I even get to covering my bases here and <laughs> not getting um, a lot of pushback for talking against these guys, yes, things can be taken out of context. Happens all the time. Happens to people like myself all the time. But um, I don't think I am. I mean, they obviously believe something different than that. But they say things sometimes that are a little confusing. Yes, there's um, apparently an atmosphere that keeps everything in as we're, you know, spinning. And we have this spinning ball atmosphere on the edge of the vacuum of space. And um, maybe it breaks some of their thermodynamic laws and things of that nature. But that's a whole other discussion. Hopefully with an expert on something like that, because I can't call myself an expert. But what interesting things. A lot of these guys, Carl Sagan, Bill Nye... Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elon Musk, th those types, they usually have similar things that they call um, the, the, the things that we talk about, like an, the ocean of space, of, you know, the, the grand ocean of the universe, or a greenhouse, or this, this realm, this existence being in a greenhouse. Uh, it's been said, There's, it's an interesting thing to mention at the very beginning here, but... Um, I think some people maybe aren't 100% sure who Carl Sagan is by sight or by sound. Somebody like myself, I certainly knew who he was growing up. And um, I think anyone that's maybe under 30-ish in years, maybe they don't know exactly who he is, but they know things he's done. Um, he sent the, you know, the Voyager record, the Pioneer plaque. I'm, I'll talk about that stuff in a little bit. But you know, these are big accomplishments, obviously. He certainly has plenty of accolades. He's a well-researched guy. He really has a lot of information out there, shows, books, tons of information. But I recently read one of his books, his last book, actually, The Demon Haunted World. And um, it's very interesting. came out the year that he passed away, as a matter of fact, 1996. And um, before I even get to why I named the episode what it's called, or any of the other things I'd like to talk about in this book or any of the other research I've been doing in this category. Let me start by saying this. These are human beings that we're talking about. I'm well aware of that. And these human beings have families, wives, husbands, <laughs> grandsons, colleagues, plenty of love, plenty of good-natured human existence. I know that. I'm not trying to step on anyone or spit in their face. But when I read a book like this, with so many things that I think are either contradictory within the book or do rely on something along the lines of belief, of along the lines of faith, I've got to question it 
because often, as this book particularly does, especially in the first maybe like 60-70% of the book, it's really about things that he constantly labeled pseudoscience. And we'll see just what is called pseudoscience based on him, based on nowadays versus 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. There's a lot to discuss there. There's a lot to unwrap and a lot to, um, I guess, bring to light, especially for people that aren't sure, because a lot of things get said in the public sphere, and it doesn't mean that everyone knows about it. If you're just following a certain line of news, you probably are only hearing the very divisive, crazy stuff that's going on right now, no matter what it is. I don't care, good or bad, red or blue, whatever. Um, it's not about, I'm not here to discuss any of that, but um, there's a lot of unelected people, unelected officials, often in technology and science, that, of course, we need experts to do things to help us advance. But um, they're given a lot of credibility in a certain way that leads to the idea of something along the lines of faith, belief required for all of this other stuff to make sense. It happens a lot. I think this book proves it. And um, having cleared the air there as best as I possibly could, um, there's plenty to say here. And I love how bold it is. It just comes right out. Now, it's nothing he hasn't said publicly in certain ways, but, you know, putting in book form changes it, changes its uh, attitude, changes its perspective on everything. But we'll get to what he means by demon-haunted world. It's not ghosts, I assure you. (laughs) It's nothing about that at all. Um, it's not about aliens either. There's so many pages that say the word UFO and uh, abduction and, um, you know, again, faith, things like that, um, psychotic kind of delusional things that may come up through trauma or other things that can explain UFO sightings, um, abduction stories. They're all the same. Where is this hive mind coming from? Television and entertainment. There's plenty of, I think, very good things that happen in this book. Um, very good explanations for things, very clear and obvious ones that he brushes over, but he mentions them. Things along the lines of media, entertainment, actually affecting how people can see things like UFOs and aliens and Area 51 and X-Files and all that other stuff, of course. And there's plenty of other good points about how politics can get in the way of true science, about advancing, developing better things, cheaper things, more beneficial things to health, to everything school you know education um he's got a lot of good points and they're all you know in my mind very clear and obvious to most people nowadays whether they play ball or not at a societal level people are aware of it and acknowledge it more than ever i think and that's to the credit of technology i imagine the internet would be the main cause of anything like this right um but why the title why remakes astronomical remakes Um, I was on two different shows about two years ago, two shows I admire very deeply, and I suggest if you're unaware of them that you get right on them because they have so many, I I assume, thousand hours or more easily of information that you can just learn, you can learn from the experts and the interesting secret geniuses that get on these shows. I was on a show called Crow 777 Radio, that's the website, uh, 777radio.com. And you can search for my name, actually, if you're interested in go checking that out. We talked about how video games in particular and that kind of entertainment, television required entertainment, um, did a lot of things and came from a very strange place to begin with. 
I highly suggest checking it out. It's a very interesting conversation. And then soon afterwards, I was uh, had the pleasure of being on Chance Garten's wonderful show, Interverse Podcast. And um, we talked about a similar topic, more about a simulation level, um, almost where you lose track of yourself through the simulations you experience on a daily basis at the base level of the conversation. It went pretty deep, actually. And um, that has something to do with this the uh, simulation idea. Even Elon Musk, I remember, mentioned the simulation that we could or are living in, and it's been asked by many people. I know even Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about it once with something about, he said, how does Mario Brothers work, blah, blah, blah. Simulation, you know. We live in a simulation. I mean, compared to what the universe might be based on what they're saying, this is astronomers now, astrophysicists. Um, who knows? It could be a night and day difference between how we live versus the rest of this crazy you see things a million years late from our point of view uh, universe, which I have a lot of trouble believing some of that stuff. I really do. Um, astronomical remakes, because I, you don't, you don't realize it when you grow up with something that maybe a lot of people actually don't know who Carl Sagan is, for example, or maybe they've already heard. He's all over YouTube in little snippets and this, I mean, obviously super popular, um, people might have heard his voice and speaking about, you know, the planet, the universe in a certain way, very profound, um, kind of a stoic voice that he, you know, presents himself with. And maybe they don't know who he is, but those people definitely know who Bill Nye is and who Neil deGrasse Tyson is. These are like very heavily advertised compared to, um, you know, the past astrophysicists and astronomers. But one thing that's very interesting about the pseudoscience claiming and name gaming in this book some of it's obviously very legitimate. Of course, they're pseudoscience in every category of anything on this planet. Well, let's not call it a planet exactly, but um, anything in this realm, this world, um, to call astrology a pseudoscience. Um, many other things are being named called big time, big time. And, and quackery, of course. Quacksilver is where that's coming from, the quicksilver in your body. I don't know how quacky that could be. That's a pretty legitimate thing as far as I know. Um astrology in particular is attacked and like I said UFOs and um, UFO sightings that's a in that one is a good thing in my book I don't prescribe to the UFOs or you know entering our atmosphere coming here all the time at not attacking us but um, studying us and going completely unnoticed in every direction they're walking through walls which is mentioned a lot in this walk through walls grab you slip you out of the wall take you to the ship you know um, now again then me to veer again but why remakes I mentioned those two shows that I was on about two years ago because remakes were a very large topic in this entertainment uh, discussion, particularly United States, Hollywoodish, or things of that nature, entertainment, movies, TV, video games. So many remakes. Um, it's unavoidable. Everyone has heard or played or seen a remake at this point, and a lot of times people don't realize it's a remake. They don't always say it. Um, especially with movies and stuff. A lot of movies come out and there's... It says it's a remake of, you know, a movie from the 30s, but you you don't know unless you dig a little. It's not really made obvious. In other words, they bring that same story. They want to make sure it's in your face again for whatever reason. And there usually is, I assume, some kind of agenda or reason that particular story with particular concepts is remade or, or remastered or something and brought back to the attention of the public. Because why do we... Did we need a live-action, you know, Jungle Book? I... I I assume not. I don't care if it looks good or not. Whatever. Good for them. I, that's wonderful. It already happened. Remakes are an interesting way to keep 
the cultural mindset at a certain place because the things that ha- that you had when maybe your grandparents were young are now right back in the in your face again it's not just their memories anymore now you have the memory of it and you can even end up saying i saw the jungle book like oh i saw that when i was 10 You're like no it just came out like what do you, what do you mean it just came out and things you know things like that i think it's the same thing with these astrophysicists we've got carl sagan who people have heard things that he says but don't know it's him i don't know who he is and then now we have people like neil degrasse tyson and again bill nye and only keep saying the same ones there are others but these are the big boys obviously the big players i'd say um they they end up saying similar or exactly the same thing and they seem to be playing it off as their own sometimes is this fine are they recalling you know for i'll i'll show you in a little bit neil degrasse tyson says a his own version of a quote that's directly out of this book a unique and intriguing one which I will discuss in a minute but it's almost like he either has subconsciously has that in his mind ready to go because he read this book obviously like anyone of his nature would have read this book um, or he's he really seems to be playing it off as his own you know random thought to have about a certain thing that we will once I show you the clip it'll make sense but uh, why that that's a that's a remake to me it's as if they want to make sure whatever the wording is or whatever the topic is that they want you to know and have you know in your back pocket somewhere for whatever reason um they bring it out in the next guy make sure he keeps that going why the these are it's almost like mythological stories where you know that they're not really to be taken at face value but they explain or discuss something often astrotheology or something along those lines and in, in very um just calling it out as it is it's very often a story about what's above what's in the stars very often and we can save that for a whole nother time i assume some of my viewers will know something about that but there's plenty to know here and um always leave a comment please you've got something to say to add if i I make a quote about something in the book and i don't say the whole thing and you're curious i'll type out the whole paragraph that i got it from i'll tell you what page it is in case you want to buy this book and read it but um that's just you know i have i want to be as i want to have um you know a sense of transparency that's a good thing for this particular type of relationship um so I think I talked about most of the good points in this book. There's definitely, and I want to get those out of the way before I move forward. Um, there's definitely a lot of things that are very agreeable and I think very obvious as being problematic nowadays regarding stuff that happens from the tippy top that affects everyone at the very bottom in a certain way. One of the big things that isn't mentioned, in my opinion, is how it feels so contrived in this particular time in this particular country in this particular television age that we grew up in um for me i know i particularly grew up in this i was supposed to be a certain thing the way i the things i saw growing up and that's not really mentioned it's brushed over it says that you know entertainment can do these things but it's a very very small portion of a 400-ish page book so keep that in mind i'm always curious when they avoid the obvious stuff and move on to things that are very obscure and almost not very human regarding the aliens in particular, which I will get to. I have some information on that too. But um, I think I discussed everything I wanted to mention from the good stuff here. Um, doesn't seem to appreciate 
is something along the lines of the way Congress may treat funding for science. I think that's obviously a good thing, but it depends on what branch we're talking about. Does NASA need more money? <sighs> no, I think they're doing okay with their daily paycheck that they get to do what they got to do. Um, knowing that they it takes a number of facilities to build one of these spaceships that they don't seem to build a ton of, um, it seems odd that they would compartmentalize the, cre- the creation of these things when a company like SpaceX is doing it all in the one spot and NASA now funds them and they're doing a ton of other stuff too, which is probably to be saved for another day. Um, one other thing that was mentioned and I think was a very, very important thing for nowadays after having gone through the whole online learning you know, virtual learning versus going to actual school for the kids, you know, grade school and younger, even kindergarten, I guess. Um, He mentions that quick changes in technology, quick changes in culture overall lead to very confusing and difficult times in the education system. Mass education, of course, maybe not homeschooling. Uh, But this is a very interesting topic that is worth fleshing out in and I think it's very true and it even came up in that interview I had with Spiro where the um, the pyramid, the food pyramid, changed to my plate and he was going to school for these kinds of things at that time and suddenly the curriculum changed the, the syllabus changed for these teachers they had to kind of just stuff a new topic in and replace an old one and it led to some confusion, it led to teachers not exactly knowing what they were supposed to be teaching about it and it also led to, well goes without saying, you know, not getting your money's worth, I guess, at this um, at this point, going for something like nutrition, which is what I think he was going for. It's, it's a very good point to make. It's a very solid and smart point. This book is well-researched. It's got lots of different references. It references tons of different time periods and people. And uh, it's not just books. It's papers. It's other things that journals and things that are, you know, a number of different sources are mentioned. And since he wrote this right at the end, I think he probably had a lot of this cataloged in his mind and maybe he went back and just kind of like filled in the year or whatever but he knew a lot of this it seemed like he wrote this just kind of from the hip which is always a good thing to see but again there's some contradictory things that i'm going to get to and the reason i'm even talking in depth about this book in particular remember relating to this topic is because of the nature of the title the demon haunted world what does he mean by that uh we'll get to that in just a moment um one last thing he mentioned was about teaching and the way that people become uninterested in math, uninterested in science and technology in school early on. And I know I was surrounded by people that particularly hated doing any math or just dreaded it or said it was impossible. And meanwhile, impossible is a pretty pretty bold statement for that. I doubt it. Um, anyone's capable of a lot, really. Um, something he mentioned in the book, too. He said that, you know, people can memorize years of statistics in a sport and they're worried about, you know, all the science information required to get into a field like this and people can handle the information there's ways to memorize anything for anybody everyone learns differently but it can be done our brains are incredible um he mentions and i almost got this before speaking to non-professionals as simply as possible this is the kind of concept that should be universal if you are an expert a master a teacher and you know you're speaking to someone that isn't you don't use the same lingo you would speak to a colleague you wouldn't do that that's not how you teach anything, really. You have to make sure the information makes sense and you can use the terms that you want to speak about something a certain way. Otherwise, you have to dumb it down. And most things can be dumbed down, even though our language I hear has less words than a lot of other ones. We can really express things in a lot of detail and it's it's a wonderful thing, of course. Um, 
So this idea of belief that I had mentioned earlier, belief, faith, I really think that it's a major factor here with this type of information. You have to believe certain things in order for evolution to be real, in order for things I had mentioned in the previous episode of the words, uh, we were discussing, you know, certain theories, certain concepts that are all came around the same time, by the way, around 1850-ish, which I think is already very interesting. All these things that were just new thoughts at the time scientifically that became a huge part of the 20th century and um, through the ranks of everything, including education. When these things all come together, they are the only way they can make sense. They all have to collide and exist together. Big Bang, evolution, dinosaurs, all that stuff. Everything has to be 100% right in order for all of the theories spelled out and now taken very seriously as fact. Um, they have to all work and they require some belief, especially when you go to look at some of these things and all you can get are self-proclaimed computer images and images created by certain people to have references, which of course is part of the deal. You want that in a certain way, especially when you're creating ideas and trying to work them out. You probably need some sketches and diagrams and things of that nature. But what about, you know, DNA? What about the molten core of the Earth? What about satellites? If you look up any of these things, you get computer images. That's all you get. It's just nothing new. It's just You just don't realize it. You don't realize it until you go to do it. And images of the Earth are the same. I remember one particular, maybe North America or Africa, very, very different size on the two same sized images of the earth i mean they say that they have to put it together because they can't just take a picture that whether or not that's true at least they're admitting it and people just don't know that they look into it i'm not lying or exaggerating here there's plenty of things left to figure out um keep that in mind too please so one of the things that before i really dive into this book uh one of the things that carl sagan is very well known for is his input into what got sent into the Voyager and Pioneer um, probes that went into deep space to find out as much information as possible about anything. Anything that it could get near or planets in the solar system and things of that nature or the further deeper space. They were, there was a record and a plaque made of gold placed on these things and they had certain images on them. Images that would convey some kind of information if some life form found them. And he very succinctly put that um, the spacecraft will be encountered. That's the Voyager or the Pioneer. These are the um, early and a little bit later than mid-70s when these things happened. The spacecraft will be encountered and the record played only if there are spacefaring civilizations in interstellar space. But this bottle into the cosmic ocean, and there's something I mentioned earlier, says something very hopeful about life on this planet. Now, yeah, I imagine if doing accomplishing something like this would be a big deal for humankind, and it would mean that we've accomplished something pretty un unbelievable. Um, but what was chosen to put on it is a little strange. Now, I that was not part of this project. Neither were you. And this is something that I think is... Take a look at this. Here's the Pioneer plaque. And um, yes, it is made out of gold. Obviously, there's images of us from the front. And we're nude to show that we have differences in certain spots. It's a very important thing. You can even see a slight difference in muscle structure based on the simple designs that were given here. Um, we also have a few other things that 
may be slightly more confusing depend on, depending on how you look at it or what it is. It's nothing crazy, but there's a, you can see the sun and the planets at the very bottom there. They're trying to point out exactly where they happen to be. If they were to find this thing, oh, I'm sorry, where we are, where, where it was sent from, I guess is what that's trying to say. Um, there's something here that's also on the Voyager record. These arrays that you see coming from a single point, um, they're trying to use pulsars to show the distance to the sun. And in the lines, you can see those lines have slashes and things in them. They're not random. This is all supposed to be binary code. Binary code. Morse code. Um, it's odd. I, I think, you know, overall, yes, we want to have the things that are on there as far as the human picture, you know, the sun, the planets, obviously. We want to show them that we are not just, if in fact it is the way it is, that we know that we're not just sitting all by ourselves. We have this expanse around us and space and stuff like that. But Morse code, binary code, I can't imagine how sterile that must seem to if there was a super duper advanced life form. I think, I don't think they would be, even if they did, maybe, use the primitive system that is binary code. Even if they did use that. And I say primitive lightly because it's just one or zero. There's on or off or that's it. There is nothing else. It's a string of that. And that on, on its description is a very simple primitive thing. There's no third option. Everything goes through ones and zeros. So to show binary code, to show Morse code, um, Morse code is a fairly human-created thing, and so is binary, but it acts differently. At least with Morse code, yeah, if you know it, you know it. If you don't, you have no idea. It would be as useful as writing something in English, which they did send some of that. Um, the Voyager record here actually has, um, well, I guess what you could call. There's music. There's images. There's a lot of different languages being spoken there's videos there's descriptions of the planet of you know what love is and all these other things now we want that of course we want that but again this has at the top left as a wheel um this is a record being viewed with the stylus on the outside of it and what this is trying to describe is you know if they can use how to use this record i mean that's obviously you want that but then it's shown again. It has a binary, you know, Morse code thing on the outside trying to describe exactly how to use it. There's lots of other, you can see little quick diagrams, some waveforms. These things are, yes, they're universal things we have. Nobody's saying that this was some idiot's project. Clearly a lot of ideas went into this. But we're giving them things that require Morse code and binary code to decode. I, I'm not sure I can... I don't get it. I think that's a little weird. Show them many things, symbols. Um, show them it more clearly how we look at math, perhaps. Why those things? The, the binary code is a computer language. Why are we handing them a computer language? I it, It's strange to me. It just really... And, you know, just a quick another look at, at some of these other things here. They showed a woman eating... I guess some grapes at, in a vegetable section of the supermarket and just look at what that first price is on the top left there. It's one one nine one dollar nineteen cents. Um, you, you fill in the blank there. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna even say it, but if you reverse it, it does look a certain way. And um, they also sent something like this where we have people eating. We have like a chewed already chewed on one side um, grilled cheese. This guy's chugging water out of a large pitcher, and this woman is 
licking ice cream from the profile view. So again, I uh, I keep saying again, I know, but is that is that exactly what we wanted to send into outer space? Maybe they're just having some fun. It's fine. I'm not ridiculing this project overall. I'll ridicule the fact that they tried to put Here Comes the Sun from the Beatles and EMI said, no, <laughs> I will ridicule that. Well, we would even bother saying no to such an unbelievably ambitious and pioneering project that are sending out a uh, pioneering, and no, no pun intended, pioneer plaque. Why in the world would anyone ever say no? They were expecting more money, less money, do it for free. This is supposed to be the most important, one of the most important things that's ever happened. That physical attempt at contacting an outside life force who may or may not be able to at least see that something's going on here. I'm, I'm just a little perplexed about it. But not as perplexed as I am about some of the concepts that happen in this book. So I think before I do it, let me just play one uh, clip here. Another clip from uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know what would make good data? You're in, you're, in the, you're in the flying saucer, whatever it is they came here in. Tell the alien, look over there. And then while they look away, snatch something off the shelf, like an ashtray or something. I don't know if the aliens smoke. Something. Anything off an alien spaceship is going to be interesting. Anything. I promise. Okay, so he mentions a little, it's almost like an anecdote, but it's not even a real story. It's just an idea. People are saying, isn't my story proof enough? He's like, I want, you want to convince me? you know, convince them to look behind or try to, you know, grab their attention in some way. Grab an ashtray. I don't know if they smoke, but grab an ashtray. It's in this Carl Sagan book. It's the same exact thing. He says, give me a, give me an ashtray. I don't know if they smoke. Who's saying ashtray? We're talking about aliens here. Why are we talking about ashtrays? It seems like such a strange left field thing. And maybe Carl Sagan meant it as half a joke. But now, remakes, you know, 10, 20 years later, Neil deGrasse Tyson comes on a show or some, you know, quick little podcast, whatever it is, and says essentially the same exact story, but trying to pass it off as his own. Again, remake. So I, I did find it a little strange. And um, lots of other things that I seem kind of strange here in this book. What is a demon? What is a haunt? I've got a few quick little, as I always will love to do, I've got some ideas about them on paper as far as their definitions. And because when you hear Demon Haunted World now, in this time and place in our culture, this is being recorded in 2022, I think that means something very specific. It evokes images. It may even evoke fear, or at least concern for those involved in that aura of the demon. Um, what is astrology and what is astronomy? Why is this book trying to say a lot that astrology is not only pseudoscience, but a complete farce? An absolutely useless form of studying our our world, what goes on above, what do we see, what is happening, why are there seven chakras, seven bodies, um, seven notes in a major scale in music, followed by the octave as we ascend, we, we go through octaves, seven colors, seven um, types of light in the visible spectrum, I think so. So this seven number comes up a lot here. There's something to it. That's already saying a lot, in my opinion. That's already saying that there's more to the story, that there's plenty more to be learned and figured out here, or maybe some people know and they can't get the information out because that's kind of a hard thing to do nowadays, getting out truth. 
It's hard. Um, so what's the difference in the definition, at the very least? Astro always means star. Aster, you can see it that way too. Um, astrologi, as in L-O-G-Y. Logos, reason, judgment, understanding. The understanding of the stars. Astronomy, nomi, method, manage, law, custom. I don't know. It's kind of a little more flaccid, I guess is the word. A little more sterile of a description of things, but... Uh, Thomas Burgoyne, in The Light of Egypt, the book I heard about on one of those shows I was on earlier, that I mentioned earlier, um, mentioned that uh, astrology is correspondences, and astronomy is the lifeless glove that fits over the hand, the hand of astrology, let's say. There's a lot of uh, people over time, Guido of Arezzo with music, and um, people that have with the stars, they've assigned certain things to the five fingers and had a way of memorizing through it. Um, I think that's what he you know, meant to say, that astrology works on how the stars and the planets align for yourself so you can better yourself, your health, your well-being, your life expectancy even. Um, astronomy is just kind of figure out, you know, what's the material of Mars or why do the planets orbit? Um, the sun, of course, even though looking up feels a lot different than that. And um, that's a whole other discussion. What is a demon? Hmm, around 1200, it's an evil spirit. Before that, though, way before that, in Greece, diamond, D-A-I-M-O-N. Add a D to that, you get diamond, by the way. Um, big, big thing in our culture, obviously. In Greek, it was a deity, a divine power, a guiding spirit. And in Latin, daemon, D-A-E-M-O-N, a spirit. And it's all over computer code, by the way. I refresh daemon is a big part of, a lot of parts of uh, certain certain paths in code. Um, I, if if he's watching, he knows who he is. I, I saw at a friend's house early on when Doom was getting, or Doom had a pretty popular run a long time ago in the you know mid-90s. And when you would use, and you would go to um, you know MS-DOS, you wouldn't even have Windows at the time, uh, you would go to Doom and it said, Refresh Daemon, right on the screen, you know, as the game was loading up. And you could see it on the, on the black screen with all the white, uh, you know, the white code. Um, that, that's so interesting to me. The code has this word in it. It just seems very odd. Um, what's a haunt? It's a place frequently visited. If you may have heard the term that somebody haunts a place, like a bar or a convenience store, or in their house is a dwelling, could be a dwelling. Um, that's from circa 1300. So it really wasn't negative around 1850. Hey, that's that time period I was discussing. A lot of things changed in 1850-ish, for sure. Um, something to look into for real, you know. And throw it in there, a greenhouse is a building, roof and sides made of glass and contains things, contains an atmosphere in it, essentially. So that's, uh, again, very interesting. So, why the demon-haunted world? The quote really is referring to what happens when, in his words, in the terms of his book, when science goes astray in the mind of the public, when science is used for evils, in the mind of people that are manipulating those who may be easily manipulated to believe things like uh, a fake channeler or some like you know new agey fake tarot reader who has no idea about it or a person using a Ouija board or the way they used to have those tables that would kind of shake and jitter I think in the early 1900s maybe earlier and people were convinced there were spirits in the room but the lights were pretty dark <laughs> now again this book has plenty of things that are obviously um, debunked and disprovable in every way and that's, of course, fine. But to say that those practicing pseudoscience are essentially demons haunting 
the general public into believing certain things or keeping real information out of hand, out of touch, out of reach. I'm one of these demons, apparently. I've got kids. I've got family. i got friends. I'm not trying to lead anyone astray. I'm speaking from a place of truth. And what I mean by that is I'm taking an honest approach and an honest crack at things and saying things that are honestly pretty risky. And I wouldn't do that unless I felt a genuine passion for it. And it's part of the purpose of this show and what human beings can be in general, really. Um, so I think there's a lot of picking and choosing going on with what's clearly dismissed as pseudoscience in this book. And let me just give you a quick list. Faith healers. I'm sure a lot of them are pretty pretty bogus. Um, the Flat Earth Society, which nobody who even thinks that way has any association with whatsoever. They're there as a shill to begin with. Uh, fortune tellers. Yes, obviously there could be problems with that. Uh, Psychic Friends Network, Chloe, if any of you are old enough to remember that. Yeah, clearly maybe uh, <laughs> seems like a fraud, but there's so much to it. And there's so much that is absolutely not fraud, for sure. Um, germ deniers, don't even get there. Uh, water memory. I know there was a guest on that crow, that crow triple seven radio show I mentioned, um, an expert at water, and I think he would disagree, say the very least. I think he would disagree with saying that water doesn't have a memory or that water doesn't retain some kind of properties over a certain amount of time. Um, look into it, really. It's quite interesting to say the least that, that whole study there's so many different things that can lead to that's a whole another conversation that whole water memory thing you know pseudoscience though there's straight up pseudoscience no questions yeah there's a lot of disproven ghosts and ufo things over the course of those things but you know it's hard to imagine that everything that was mentioned and or skipped over in this book could truly be pseudoscience especially astrology when did astrology become astronomy when did it pass over into this new realm of you know exploring the uh the final frontier i don't know i don't know it's uh, i do i guess but it's a shame that it, it really went this way you know um and again basing things on advanced maths and assumptions when you know binary code just ki it kills me we sent binary code into space that's what we want to be shown as there was other recordings of language and stuff but they have to be able to play the record maybe they could but um, they, you know, as in the advanced life forms, but he, you know, when it comes to the pseudoscience people, he wants to ask reasonable questions. He's saying, you, you've channeled somebody from a 2000 years ago. Why do they speak English? What is your culture like? What did you eat? These are very good questions to ask a medium if they're trying to channel somebody for you, right? See if, see if they can get it right. These certain very particular aspects, maybe an older language, maybe a long forgotten language that was not known. Um, when it comes to aliens though, he wants to see if they know Fermat's last theorem. Like, an plus bn equals cn is not going to be a positive integer if n is greater than 2, right? Okay, fine. Maybe they're smart enough to see things on paper and just kind of figure it out, but do they even use any of these ideas? n being something... We're looking at, like, English letters here, and, you know, to have, like, a, an equation like that to be what he thinks he wants us to ask an alien... I have way different questions for aliens. <laughs> I have way different questions for aliens. Um, that's, again, <laughs> as I always say, the conversation for another day. Um, he mentioned that he's convinced that babies smiled less when we were first kind of uh, growing in caves, I guess, as hunter-gatherers, cavemen. 
one of the, some of the first human sapiens, whatever you want to call it, said that they smiled less. Their parents smiled less at them. They recognized this. They didn't recognize faces as easily. We're not talking about human babies here. Um, are we just we just have like heartless ancestry? I, I don't I don't I don't quite understand that. And don't mind me looking. I'm trying to uh, you know not stare at these notes as much as possible here, but I do have something, some kind of a path planned here. Um, it's a very odd comment. I thought that that babies were smiling less. I, I can't imagine a mother not having a baby and then not loving it to pieces until it was ready. Babies can't do anything on their own. Did these caveman babies have a different where they walk in like bam bam like right away on you know from the Flintstones? I don't know. I really don't know. But it's a very odd to have not and there's nothing placed in that cat in that and you know where it is in the book. He doesn't reference anything. He's not saying somebody else said it and makes sense. He's pretty much just straight up guessing. And that's fine, but there's that belief faith thing again. It's in here. It's in this book. Trust me. I um, read it yourself. Don't trust me. I want you to figure these things out on your own. I might give you a kicker to go check it out, or any of his stuff. Um, there's some other interesting books that came out from the other two guys I've been mentioning the most today. Accessory to War. How did I get here? Things like that. These are very interesting reads, and um, there's a lot to it, really. Oh, I often hear in this book, no matter too sensitive. There's a chapter called No Question, No Such Thing as a Dumb Question. It's one of the chapters in this book. Um, no matter's too sensitive. I think that's, I think it's provably wrong simply by reading the beginning of this book. Just the very beginning. He speaks of a cab ride where the guy was obviously clueless, has no idea how science works, he said. And science, to him, being relatively young, he was quoting uh, this guy, Alan Cromer from 93, uh, saying that, you know, science is new. Maybe it's only a few centuries old. Perhaps it was a fluke. Would it have ever happened? Science? Is science a fluke? Do you think in your heart and soul, do you think that human beings never would have achieved any scientific ideas naturally? Just by being hungry? Figuring out how to eat what's around you, maybe animal, maybe plant, whatever, or figuring out how rainwater can be manipulated, kept, stored, drank, is that not science already? Where? How are we missing science? Our fingernails get pretty big. Did we let them grow? Did we chip them down? Did we bite them? Did we grind them? Who knows? But just fingernail maintenance is science. It grows back. I don't get it, but I'm going to try to figure it out. That this is, of course, science happened. It's not a fluke. Science is. We are science. We are scientists. We're all scientists in some way. Gentlemen scientists, as they may have called it, uh, without the backing, of course, without the financial backing. <laughs> um, it's really, I hope that these are interesting points that are helping you think about certain things and to give you, again, a push to do some research on your own. Find some time to do some research. I'm just surrounded by stuff to do, but this is my thing right now. Um, you may not have able to dedicate the kind of time I am currently to it, but even if it's just an hour a week, Look up something you always wanted to or clarify something you thought you knew. Mesmerism. Do you really know what it is? There's lots of things to clarify. Trust me. Um, you know, like it or not, we are stuck with science. We have made a bargain in our favor. Um, this is a quote from the book. A bargain. It makes it sound like it's a, like a Faustian kind of deal. You know, I don't know why it's mentioned that way. And am I taking it out of context? I don't really think I am. 
No, I read this book thoroughly. I don't think I'm taking things out of context. And you know what? Again, so what if it's a little askew from what was meant? There's a lot of accusations in this book that go a long way to convince people that certain things are real, regardless of how much information can be taught, because it's also mathematical. It requires so much schooling where you're too dumb to understand it. Rocket science, for example, or something like that. No, you can't even get here. How many places teach astrophysics, for example, right? Um, science offers the gift of life, as in food, and I think the, the Earth offers this on its own, but science permits us to feed, is a quote from this book. Science permits us to feed. It's hard for me to comment on that. It really is. It's an odd thing. Um, something, again, something to think about, right? So... Um, there's several other things that we can kind of quickly mention here because I want to relate actually the beginning of the last video. You saw me reading a book called Demonology, Demonology from King James, the one and only from the King James Bible. King James the Sixth and the First is his full title. And he um, wrote this book, Demonology, about witches and how, you know, how and why we should be dealing with them and how they do their thing, you know, whatever, whatever nonsense skewed vision of that it is. And then very soon afterwards, the King James Bible came out, the KJV, not long afterwards. So there's a lot of talks about witch trials in this book. There's a lot of talks about the wrongs that were done, as a matter of fact, and how pseudoscience was used to prove them witches. Very agreeable information. But he, um, he mentions quickly... King James wrote this demonology book. There's other books that are referenced much heavier. And then he quickly moves on to say that the translator of the very exquisite KJV, King James version of the Bible, that we the, pretty much the one we all know, um, whether, you know, if that's your, your holy book, I necessarily haven't read it myself, but I own one now. I'm going to dig into it. There's some interesting things in there. He says as long as, you know, if you take it at face value, talking about the Bible, if you take it at face value, um, none of it makes any sense. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not supposed to. There's four different ways to read every sentence in that book and other books like it. The Koran, whatever else you want to label as that type of book. I don't understand, and I'm not taking it out of context. And where it's placed in the book, it clearly says it. That you're, you know, taking it at face value. I think I've, I've even written down what he said about that one thing. If you accept literally the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Um, and just to prove the pseudoscience of believing in religion, of believe, having faith in religion, right? To prove scientific things. Disproving astrology, even though it's all over these kinds of books. How many books have astrology in them secretly? In an occult fashion, esoterically? A lot. Some of these books require three, four, five readings. Or an expert nearby just to bounce ideas back and forth because somebody might not have ever seen the one way you noticed it to be. Some chapter, some phrase, some psalm, whatever it is. Um... It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about, I know. But, you know, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, I find it so odd. So odd, the things that are... You know, things that, the way that things are glanced over in a certain way. Didn't stick to the King James thing at all. Called the translation exquisite, as in... Yeah, okay, so you mean it's, it's an amazing translation. He's researched enough to maybe have a reference. Maybe he read the old stuff. Yeah, apocrypha or um, other, you know, older versions of the Bible that 
were you know Latin Greek before the English translation, where there's obviously some marked differences. I've mentioned in a previous episode or two how many times I'm reading old Latin books translated, German translated. I have to rely on the translation. If you don't know German, you're not going to read Nietzsche as is. You're not. If it rhymes in the translation, it was altered. It shouldn't also rhyme in two different languages. That's nearly impossible, in my opinion. Nearly impossible. But, again, a lot to it. And uh, very intriguing, very interesting thing. So, let's look at one last quote from one of these guys. And uh, maybe we'll kind of find the finish line here after discussing that for a little bit. Is math related to science? Math is the language of the universe. Numbers. If you want to go to China and speak to Chinese people, you learn Mandarin or? Yeah. Or, yeah, okay. Go to Spain, you learn Spanish. Yeah. You want to go to the universe, you learn math. It's that simple. Language of the universe is math. This comes back to what I was talking about with the binary code, with the Morse code. Yes, I imagine an orbit, a distance. These can be mathematically calculated, but that doesn't mean that that is the reality of it. Astrology doesn't look to get distances, even though now we're kind of in a camp where we have to just to prove our own points and see where the burden of truth really lies in a lot of these concepts lately. Um, yes, there's a huge difference between a mathematical calculation and math being a language that is required for anyone from anywhere to discuss something. That rhythm is a much more universal language. Uh, music in general. Uh, maybe even symbology may be more of a language than math regarding discussing almost anything. Math does require some ability. An interesting parallel with a concept I discussed on some of those other shows about the video games, um, especially with the newer ones where there's 8, 10, 12 buttons to understand or more, that's a complicated endeavor. You can't. A lot of these games have information, occult information, hidden ideas, but only the best gamers will see them. You have to either get to the game, the end of the game or get to like certain secret areas that are hard to find, and you have to be good at the game. So they're risking, if somebody really wants that information out there, they're risking a lot of people not seeing it just because of that. Or do they rely on the YouTube generation to put it in everyone's faces? A lot of people play through entire games visually and never touch the game. That YouTube has the whole game. You can watch the whole game. You don't have to play games anymore. Um, so when I hear a lot of this, you know, the talk about math being the language of the universe, I want, it, I want to know how many of you feel that way. Do you think math is the language of the universe? Yes, 2 plus 2 equals 4. 1 minus 1 is 0. Yes, this is important. Simple math is very important very important in a lot of ways and a lot of people lack it and they almost feel dumb because they know they don't know certain things they people feel dumb people come off as dumb even if they're not and most people are not at all by the way just because you don't know math doesn't mean you're dumb at all um same thing with music you don't know how to play an instrument you're not dumb you could it's never too late it's never ever too late to learn L instrument language math music and math are languages i'm not denying that either Showing an equation to somebody means something to somebody doesn't mean somebody does something to somebody else. Th this is how language works. If you don't know Sanskrit, it ain't going to look like much to you. And then you find that it has an incredible, large catalog of things that are almost identical in our language. We have so much 
from the older languages. It's very intriguing and will be an entire concept for sure for another episode. Um, but really, this is my final point here, I guess, that as far as this Neil deGrasse Tyson comment. I know what that video has turned into. It's a meme. I get it. Katy Perry sounds kind of a, a little silly sometimes and a little stupid saying some of the things she says in that interview. Um, I'm not sure who set that interview up or whatever you want to call that, but it's not important. What's important is the, the information that came out of it. Um, you know, a lot of things he said before, I'm, it's not like he's starting from scratch and, you know, found a brand new audience just because of that video, but it's being taken in the opposite direction, possibly on purpose. Look how stupid she is. She has no idea that math is the language of the universe. She has no idea. I think a lot of people wouldn't think that. Now, we need great thinkers to think ways that most, most people haven't. Excuse me. This is different. This is definitely different. And I want to know why, as I've said it enough already, why are we sending binary code into the, into the deep space? It's the least human thing. And if they don't play the record, it's what they're going to see. They're going to see that and, and, and wonder, I think. You know, what is this? Advanced or not, it doesn't matter. That's our machinations. They have their own. And I genuinely wonder if that would have been successful. And, and they show the planets lined up. If they find it very far away, I don't know if they have the catalog of our little solar system. And again, this is coming from me just going along with what they're saying. You have to believe all that stuff for things like gravity to hold water and um the moon does indeed affect the tides doesn't it the menstrual cycle is the same time period as a month uh, uh, as the time it takes for a moon to transition and why are we denying something that clearly has at least some relationship to our natural world the invisible part of the natural world playing a scale is that a visual thing on an instrument it might be but to listen you require no vision whatsoever um these things align with frequencies that can give us certain feelings the combination of frequencies make harmonies chords they give us very specific feelings a minor chord can make a lot of people feel a very certain way a very similar way i should say and i'm, I'm mentioning music in general because 12 notes in the music scale if the equals for equal temperament. And if you're not sure what that means, I'm going to have a very large catalog of music information, I'm sure, on this show very soon. Um, 12 notes in music, 12 signs of the zodiac. Seven uh, heavenly bodies, as they're called, even in this book. And seven notes in the major scale. Seven chakras. There is something to it. There has to be. And there's been quite a few books written about it, as a matter of fact, old and new. Interested to know what books I'm talking about? Catch me. Catch me in the uh, comments. I'll respond. Gladly. And I'd love to have a conversation. Um, I've got a lot of things planned, a lot of shows, a lot of guests. Very interesting, varied topics. And... You have something that you want to, you have a, a fiery topic you want to debate, or you have more information beyond what I've said today, and I'm sure some of you do, find me in the comments. I'll put you on my show. 
I want to talk to anyone that's willing to speak about these things. There is so much to get to, and we have so little time. And um, I hope that we've been pushed forward enough to gain from things like this show. That's the point here on Third Eye Edify Podcast. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.